We uh, there's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. You'll find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, welcome back to the 24th episode of the third sub. We're coming in hot here with our, you know, latest episode. And oh my goodness, we have a game to talk about. Clacks and alert. Ding, 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 ding. And I'm here, co-host Alexander Gongirizic. Before we dive in, because boy, am I ready to dive in for this express show here as we, we dive in and preview kind of in our... MLS is back, special show format here, and I'm back with Samuel Rowan. How are you this week? And I guess this week, we spoke this week, so I, it's maybe how, how have you been since uh, since we last saw the Whitecaps play? Yeah, we were able to uh, enjoy the match together on, on Wednesday night, which was, which was lots of fun. And uh, man, I don't know, it's been, I'm glad that we're doing this Friday morning instead of on Thursday or on Wednesday night, because... It was it was a lot to take in and and I feel a little more ready to actually break it down instead of just like yelling aimlessly at this point. So so I'm glad we're doing this now. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was everything you'd expect from an MLS match at a pandemic tournament in Florida. Like it was just you know I think a, a big shout out to some of our guys on on 86 Forever. Uh, Shout out to Ian Jones. He titled his post-match article, If 2020 Was an MLS Match. And I think that's pretty much perfect. It wasn't, uh, how do we say, it wasn't the most flattering match. If you're a, if you're a Whitecaps fan, you go up 2-0, 3-1. You're like, okay, we got this in the bag. And then, you know, at the end, you just decide defense is for chumps. We don't like that. We don't do that here. It's MLS. We like to clean sheets. No one likes those three ones or two ones. Nah, let's just go for the four three. Let's just throw it all away. And there's a lot that kind of led up to that lead evaporating. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is pretty, there is, a, there are a lot of built in excuses and we kind of seen that. And you know, I, a lot of them are fair and at the same time, you know, it's, you shouldn't be throwing away three one lead. So it was certainly kind of a seesaw teeter-tottering emotions and I think we kind of felt that over the, the course of the hundred or so minutes of play that we got to see in Muggy Orlando. Yeah and so I think the to just kind of start things off the the biggest question I had on my mind was you know trying to be from a from a balanced perspective and not just you know taking emotion or just a gut reaction into it was the 4-3 score line the caps being hard done by, or was it justice served for the overall flow of play? And, and part of me is almost kind of on the fence about this, but then you kind of think back to two of the white caps, three goals. And I think that's what kind of seals it where you feel like at the end of the day, even though it was a four, three match, it's probably a deserved three points for the earthquakes. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, you do feel a team that got a 3-1 lead should win. But then again, you look at the normal stats like chat, chance creation, shots, XG, the whole 
the whole shebang, I mean, the earthquakes would have been hard done by, but at the same time, let's not kid ourselves. The earthquakes defense was, you know, terrible. It was awful. And you, and you have to be able to defend. It's not like you can just get away without doing that, yeah, which the white win. caps learned the hard way. Yeah. But what's frustrating is that the caps defended so well, but you know, as I guess we'll, we'll kind of touch on in a bit is the midfield was basically non-existent aside Leonard Owusu and the earthquakes just kind of sent wave after wave towards, you know, Branko Veselinovic and Jasser community. It just kind of felt like that the toothpicks covering the, the, the dam kind of the water metaphor and like it held strong, but eventually the toothpicks just kind of exploded and everything, just the water went everywhere. That's what it kind of felt like. And, you know, there it feels more frustrating because they actually defended well, but they just kind of wave after wave of pressure just really burned them out and it just really it was coming. Whereas with the Whitecaps, they attacked basically three times and they scored pretty much like three times because the Earthquakes defense was that bad. And it kind of makes you think, like, what if they actually tried to control the ball and actually made more runs forward? Like, could it have been five or six, honestly, with how bad Daniel Vega and the San Jose fullbacks, I guess? Uh, Tommy Thompson and Nick Lima, like how bad everyone was playing. You you could have figured. That's, that's very, uh, they they very much have an MLS 2.0 back four. Like it is, they have not well, evolved or or really updated their the back end of their roster in a couple of years now. Well, it, you, you say that and I, I agree a bit. Maybe Daniel Vega, because I don't know why they, they haven't upgraded their goalie. For some reason, What the only move they did last year is when they brought in well, they got rid of Bingham, first of all, like a year or two ago, and they sent him to Galaxy, which is a bad move because Bingham's like one of the more underrated keepers in MLS. But then Almeida wanted his guy to be this 34-year-old USL veteran who basically never went above USL. I'm like, okay, you're our guy. And like Daniel Vega, I don't know. I guess I guess he fits the system, but I feel like they could do a lot better. And you know what? Tommy Thompson and Nick Lima are really good fullbacks, but the Almeida system – the fullbacks play really high, and that's what I think the Whitecaps should have realized. Okay, if the fullbacks were playing high, we should have played Milinkovic and Dahomey more because they were so good. And I think we're going to – we'll touch on that bit in our little individual performances section, like kind of who stood out and who didn't. And I feel like tactically the Whitecaps kind of didn't take advantage of that there, and that's disappointing to see because I feel like they have – they've seen the Earthquakes play twice in person before, and I feel like the Earthquakes are a predictable team, and that's – they're good at it. They're good at what they do and they don't need to be unpredictable. But I feel like at the same time, you should try to at least target certain aspects. Well, I guess to be fair, they did, but I don't think they maybe targeted it as properly. Let's say as tactically, they didn't properly target the weaknesses. They, they went about it the wrong way. And that's kind of, that was kind of maybe let's say frustrating to see, but also just more, more so disappointing just because, you know, you kind of, saw it happening in real time and you know, maybe you could have done something about that. Yeah. I think from a, you, you always knew that this match from a stats perspective was going to be a tough look for the white caps. Like the, the two systems just don't match up well. And especially missing some players up front for the white caps, you kind of had the sense that Mark was going to try to bunker in and absorb some pressure. But even so, I think, you know, the, 32% possession, allowing 22 corners, an MLS record, 30 total shots against 11 on target. I mean, even if that was in some form the game plan, those are pretty jarring numbers. And I don't think Mark would be happy that 
they allowed that kind of volume because obviously you want to you want to kind of counter Almeida's system and absorb pressure, but I think that the, you know it reaches a critical mass where it becomes a a serious problem. And and as you mentioned, and as I think we've talked about quite a bit off the podcast, just yeah, the I think ultimately the midfield or the or the lack thereof and the lack of play through it is really what you know ensured that over time the Whitecaps were going to break down and and eventually led to those late goals in the in the final 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, it was, it was very frustrating to see the midfield overrun because we were kind of hoping, especially Russell Tybert, Huang and mom or in mom Huang, they were really good at the part at the beginning of the year, at least in the second game against the galaxy in the first game, they were kind of similarly wishy-washy, but they were in a four, four, two, and they just really got like San, I mean, Kansas city really just, outclassed uh, Vancouver tactically there. Peter Vermees really, he really just hit Vancouver with a five-man midfield overload against two. Like, that, they're going to win that battle every time. And, you know, Mark DeSantos maybe didn't adjust as much or, you know, it kind of it kind of hurt them in that first game. But in the second game, uh, Inbaum and uh, Tiber were, you know, lights out. So you kind of expected, okay, with the Wusus there to do all their dirty work, like they're just going to run around and be free. And they just, you know, they really weren't. And I think that was kind of disappointing to her hoping for for more out of them but I think you know I at the same time I do think we have to recognize that this is a matchup nightmare for the for the earthquakes I mean for the the white tops the earthquakes are and I I think we've kind of seen that in three games but at the same time I must say you know I'll, I'll let you you know hop on this first but do you think maybe you know, DeSantos could have, how do you think he could have maybe prepared better to counter the earthquakes threat than, you know, than what he ended up doing? Do you think, like, what do you think, you know, what do you think, where do you think he went wrong? Or where do you think, you know, maybe he didn't go wrong, but where do you think San Jose just really took advantage of a matchup? And let's say, you know, at the same time, DeSantos put out close to his full strength 11, he put out you know, and you put them in a formation to succeed. Where do you think San Jose looked at their 11 and took advantage of them? Well, so this is something I was thinking about quite a bit. And, and when I made notes last night, it would kind of, this would be almost like my, my thesis statement of my entire view on the match is that I think when you play against Almeida, it's a war of attrition. You know, it's like World War II Blitzkrieg where it's just, fast and hard and heavy and it's kind of just whoever has the most staying power at that high tempo that's going to win the match and so you kind of look at how things played out you get to I believe it was the 63rd minute and the earthquakes made four subs in the 63rd that that was something and and the white caps had not yet used one and then you look at you look at that from that point onwards, the Quakes won the match 3-0. And so to me, I think there's your, if you're looking for a key moment, more so than any of the goals, that was the key. You know, in Almeida's system, in that kind of humidity, you know, fresh legs, I think a lot of the time ruled the day. And you can, I think a lot of credit there was given to Wando. Obviously, oh, Chris Wando, Wondolowski, he, he just has this sixth sense. I don't know what it is, but it's not even his ability to score goals. It's his ability to just 
make the match feel different when he's a part of it. And it's just like, it's a leadership. It's a wily experience kind of thing. But I think, I think maybe a little bit too much credit's given to that almost sometimes. I think the fact that you had four sets of fresh legs on the 63rd and that you won the match three nil from that point on, that was the thing that stood out to me more than anything. And so I think Mark DeSantos is a really good talent evaluator, a really good motivator and game setup tactician. But I just don't know if the, the in-game tactics, the adjustment on the fly is where you'd like it to be. And I think we saw that against the cavalry last year. We've seen that against just cavalry, just, just cavalry before, before the, some angry cavalry fans come after you. It's just cavalry. No okay. cavalry. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> We'll take that one there, off. Done that. We'll take that one offline. But against really good managers, we see it's been an issue for Mark DeSantos. And so I think that's something where he's got to look a little bit inwards and whether that's using his assistant coaches more, whether that's adjusting his own approach to matches, I don't know. But I think uh, I think as much as, you know, the Whitecaps were, were short staff, like they didn't have their full allotment of depth, you have to find a way to use the players you have even if it's just in a limited capacity. And so to me, that was the key moment of the match. Well, first of all, I guess I have a lot to say about that. And it's, you know, I'll dive into it. But first of all, if we're going to talk about this, the, the Quakes, I feel like this is just necessary. They play rock and roll soccer. And you know what? It's surprising. <laughs> An Argentine who played in some of the best leagues in the world, he played at a World Cup for whatever reason. He's just a... He plays this like CONCACAF-esque style of football and it's just... It's so chaotic. I, I <laughs> love it. Rock and roll. <laughs> Soccer. <laughs> but basically, he's just... What I was thinking is like, we were talking about this on our preview pod. Why haven't the Earthquakes signed a third DP? Why don't they go for talent? At the same time, I feel like it wouldn't help them. Like they don't need a third DP because in a sense, the way Almeida coaches, their system... It thrives on the mediocrity slash averageness of their players just because Almeida can just kind of plug in players wherever the heck he wants and it doesn't change. He's like, okay, this Andy Rios, I don't even, I didn't even do any, you know, any research on this guy before, but from what I, I, I did see a little bit, but Andy Rios, uh, you know, he's a 30 year old Argentine. He, you know, he's kind of just been everywhere. He, he's played at a bunch of clubs, he's played in Mexico, you know a lot over, you know, Latin American teams. And they just, you know, come at, he signed him and just last year he barely played. And now they just kind of plug him up top to make, bring Wando off the bench. You know, he, maybe he, he is a, a pretty good striker, but he's not thinking, okay, imagine if you signed a DP striker, like a Cavallini up top. Cause I mean, they, they have Espinosa, they have, I think Vaco's their other DP. And then uh, they have a third DP slot open, but instead they just bring this, you know, Andy Rios guy on the cam and they throw him up top. And then in goal, they have Daniel Vega, just a USL guy. Obviously, Alanis, Osvaldo Alanis at the back. He's a pretty marquee signing. But a lot of their players, you look around, they're just kind of players they've picked up with on TAM slash like MLS contracts from around the world and they just throw them in. And I think that makes it work for Almeida because he brings four players off the bench and it feels like they don't miss, you know, they don't miss a beat where it feels like with some teams you go to the bench and it's like there is a noticeable talent downgrade from the bench to the, you know, bench to the starters. And I think Almeida, he's kind of gained the MLS system because he's like, you know what, I may not have 
five stars, but I have two stars and I, I don't need to take them off. And I have like 16 really similarly profiled players. So I can just kind of play whoever the heck I want and just rotate to, you know, rotate as much as I want and I won't affect, you know, be affected. Whereas the white caps, they, I mean, at the same time, we can debate the talent level, but at the very least, clearly, you know, DeSantos doesn't trust a lot of the youngsters that were on his bench and did feel there was a talent drop off. You know, imagine if the Whitecaps had that talent, you know, they didn't have that talent deficiency. Okay, let's just throw on, you know, all the, you know, throw on all the kids or throw on this and that. And I like that. I just liked that gut, you know, that gutsiness from Almeida. I think that was, you know, it's fair play to him. And I think tactically with Dos Santos, again, he set himself up, you know, well, and he, he went up 3-1. So clearly whatever the heck he did worked, but Almeida, adjusted and Mark DeSantos didn't adjust and that's always tough as a manager you want your manager to adjust you want your manager to react and like that's kind of you know that's their job or else uh, if it was a game of you have 11 players and you throw them on the field and after that there you don't do anything there's no subs it's just a 60 minute game then the manager would basically it would be a whole different role but the manager his job especially now with five subs like geez it's like you can change basically half of your outfield team. Like that's a big impact you can have on the game. You can decide, I want five defenders swapped. I want five forwards. You can do like, I feel three subs, even three subs, you can make a, you can really change a game. But with five subs, I felt like you can really tactically mold your team to how the game was going. I think if we're going to talk about, you know, the San Jose game itself, it felt, it felt like, you know, at first, you know, the Whitecaps were getting overrun in midfield, but their back four was really solid, which was surprising because I was worried when they're playing that deep line. It shouldn't have worked as well as it did for 60 minutes. And you know what? Even and had San Jose not scored a pretty darn nice goal by Rios to give him credit, that back to the goal, it, it would have been, you know, two or three nil. And then just, but the, they they tired out. And then the Almeida legs kind of took over. And tactically, it's, you felt like, okay, could you know, could Dos Santos have brought on an extra center back because the center backs kind of were just burning out? Could he have brought on a Gutierrez for Ali Adnan, whose fitness started to really wear out? Could you have avoided running Leonard Owusu into the ground so he didn't have to get carried off the pitch injured? Like, that's where I start to wonder, you know, from a pure man management standpoint. But I guess we'll shift over to a tactical standpoint. Well, I, I just want to touch on one more thing there. We talked a lot with Mark DeSantos before this tournament about the five subs and how they could be used. And he kept saying how the five subs would allow him to, he understands that his system asks a lot of the players physically, right? Like it's a, it's a draining system. And sometimes, especially when you're, you know, bunkering in and then pressing against the team as active as Almeida's, it's going to really wear players down. And he, he talked about the, you know, the fact they try to use the subs to keep that play style and the energy levels high and flat out, we just didn't see that against San Jose. No, I was, that was probably our biggest, you know, that was our biggest complaints. I guess to shift tactically, I didn't leave much time for that in my little monologue. I just went on there, but, you know, tactically, if we're going to look at the game, cause, you know, we are a ta pretty tactical podcast here, but. You look at San Jose's setup, you know, they set up in a 4-2-3-1. I, I think that's pretty standard. That's kind of what they set up in. The Whitecaps went for a 4-3-3. Three, three. 
and you can tell the San, San Jose goes for that kind of that five-man overload and the full, you know, the, the wingers, Vaco and uh, on the left, for some reason they had like Judson playing. It was, it was a bit of a weird amoeba kind of, like like uh, Alicia Rodriguez said last, last uh, episode, it's an amoeba setup. So like for some reason they had the defensive midfielder Judson lining up as a left mid when he was kind of just playing as a six and then Erickson was playing as an eight. It was just all over the place, but basically numbers wise, they put five men in the midfield and kind of let Rios run ramp it up top and Nick Lima and Tommy Thompson were just all over the place for fullbacks. That's kind of what they do. That's why typically Almeida, he subs out his fullbacks, which is, especially when it's three subs, you rarely see that from a coach play 60 minutes and then you sub out your two fullbacks, but it kind of shows you how important it was. Whereas the white caps, they put four behind the ball and then they put three midfielders in a line in front of the four. And then, well, it was more of a four five one really because Milinkovic and Dahomey, to give them credit, they were running up and down like fullbacks doing a lot of work. And, you know, in that four five one, the five actually worked because it countered San Jose's five. But what the problem was with the fullbacks overlapping, you know, it just, with, with how narrow Adnan and Nerwinski ended up playing, it felt like, San Jose just kind of had three reigns of the wide areas because Milinkovic and Dahomey did well to track back, but they're not going to be going all the way to the corner. I feel like the fullbacks overload really is what set the, you know, San Jose sent pretty much, if you think about it, all they sent eight men forward and the white caps had, well, they had eight as well, which is like, you know, you typically an attacking team, as long as you're not outnumbered, you have an advantage. 8v8 is usually in soccer an advantage to the attacking team because if they move, it's so hard for defenders, you know, to keep up. And I feel like that's where San Jose got the advantage because if you look, they kept getting the ball into those wide channels and they would either try to whip these crosses in that would go out for corners because the Whitecaps defended it well or they'd get it to the top of the box and then they'd get these these shots. They, 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 for some reason, they love these long shots and, those were what killed the Whitecaps. I mean, Crepo is good enough to save those long shots, but the corners, the endless corners, as a defender, defending 22 corners is, you know, it's mentally fatigue. And I think there, you know, the Whitecaps, they could have adjusted, okay, maybe made their fullbacks be more aggressive or, you know, brought on an extra midfielder when they're up 3-1 and, you know, play without a striker, put another man behind the ball to counteract, counteract that, you know, like, even sub on Derek Cornelius for Jordi Reyna. As crazy as that sounds, put on another defender, play three at the back so the fullbacks can play wider and avoid encounter Tommy Thompson and Nick Lehman, and play a 5-4. You know, or is that, yeah, correct, a 5-5. Honestly, play a 5-5. As ridiculous as that sounds, you're up 3-1. You've done your job as a coach. You've scored three goals. You should be able for 25 minutes to bunker down and defend. And not, at least, at the very least, get a draw, not lose. So I feel like tactically, that's kind of how the game set up. And that's maybe where I feel they went wrong, if I'm being honest. Well, yeah. And I think if you look at the players, you know, you look at the two fullbacks and the two wingers, you've really, um, you know, maybe Jake, Ner- Jake Nerwinski would be the only of those four that you'd, you know, describe as a above average defender like I think Dahomey and Milinkovic are probably like relatively average defenders Ali obviously has his you know his issues but but actually I think Ali looked for the most part okay defensively He's a good defender is other than one or two gaffes yeah but but I think the the role you were asking them to play out in the wide areas and the way they were just kind of left completely to their own devices without much 
help, especially from Tybert and Imbaum, just was, you know, such a tall ask. And, and again, kind of the, the war of attrition over the course of the match. You can only just you can only handle so much volume before eventually things start to break down. And, and yeah, I think, as you said, up 3-1, it's time to get creative. And maybe, you know, maybe a 5-5 five five seems ridiculous, but it probably would have worked out better than just doing nothing. Yeah, and that's where it's like, as a manager, you'd like to see proactive changes or even... And I'd, I, I'd, I'd almost rather see them have reverted to that and, and lose, lose the match because they tried something different than lose the match because you didn't do anything at all. Well, it's like basically what I mean is because, yeah, theoretically by the pure definition of the word, proactive and sitting 10 men behind the ball don't really go together. Yeah, it's, a, it's time, a bit counterintuitive. But, but when you, you know, what I mean by proactive subs is you sub based on the game. Well, you know, based you, on based on how you see the game trending. Well, well, basically, rather the, than reacting. Well, you basically you, you sub based on a the score and b how the tactically the game's going. And you looked at the Whitecaps getting overrun in the wide flanks. You bring on Cornelius for Reina, just as an example, you know, and then you know Raposo and Bear on the wings because honestly they were. Raposo, Bear, Milinkovic, and Dahomey were kind of our bright, you know, they were all really good on the wing. I think the Whitecaps now from last year where they had no, basically what it felt like, no Mark DeSantos wingers. They have basically like four now, and they're all really good. So I think, you know, you sub on Dahomey, and you sub off Dahomey, Milinkovic for Raposo and Bear. You bring on Cornelius Ferreira, as crazy as that sounds. Yes, bringing on a center back. I don't know why that's such a taboo subject for coaches, same way subbing off fullbacks. You know, you have subbed on the bench. What's the point of putting a center back on your bench? Like, he shouldn't. Like, I feel like in soccer, or at least you know, it's so. I feel like if if we're you know, I don't know why. Honestly, you could even say with goalkeepers, but at least a goalkeeper, like the way they play, rhythm is important. But why is it such a sacred thing to sub off center backs and sub on center back? You tell me, Sam. Yeah, I, I well, I think it's just you come from the. When you're part of the the three sub model for so long, right? And it's you just kind of view it as we will only sub off a center back if we absolutely have to because the fresh legs and and energy of attacking or midfield players is more important. But I think now that you're, I think you almost have to view it like if if I was coaching, you would view this. I would view this five subs as you have your normal three subs. And you kind of treat those the same way you would tactically. But then you also have two subs to use in other areas that you maybe wouldn't normally get the chance to. So I think the easiest place to start for a lot of coaches not named Matias Almeida is at fullback. Mm-hmm. Normally you'd kind of go, oh, I don't really know if I want to. You don't want to waste Yeah, I was, was going to do the exact same thing. You know, you waste, waste a sub on a fullback. Well, there you go. Now there's your fourth now sub. You Use it. it on a fullback. Like for me, and I think both of us, Gutierrez should have come in from Ali well, for Ali in like the 60th him. minute. Yeah. What, what is the point? Gutierrez. Like, and also Ali seems Adnan, like a really good player and add that burned out. Ali Adnan struggles to play a full 90 in really good conditions, let alone high humidity where he's being well, forced to run up and down the pitch. Well, he can play a 90. It's just the after 65, you lose a the lot intensity, of quality there. Yeah. And I well, mean, of course, at you the know, same yeah. time, I could see why you want to keep Adnan. You look at the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. He's, he made the assist to Ricketts in what, the 75th minute? That was Ali, you know, Ali 
pressed on late in the game and he made a difference. And I can see why DeSantos. But you've also that, got three matches in a relatively short span yeah. of time. You want him for those other matches too. Yeah, I can see why against the Galaxy, he didn't sub off Aliena. It worked. But at the same time, it was a nil-no game and Adnan was up the pitch. In this game, Adnan was bogged down. He was playing defensively. Like, why not put on... I feel like Gutierrez in this game made sense because it was such a defensive white cap side. Yeah. And that's where it's like, you know, bring so, on. So then to kind of, to kind of continue on that, on that vein. So you've got your three normal subs, you've got your, your fullback sub. Now you've got a free fifth sub. And to me, that's where you use it on a Dirk Cornelius for Yasser Kamiri, for example, where or no- even Cornelius, to make a three at or, the back or to or to do yeah, exactly take off Yordi and put Derek on now you've got that freedom to throw a center back in where I'm sure there have been managers you know during MLS regular season during you know world football regular season where they go gosh I wish I could make a CB sub right now but I just tactically and it you know it's going to hamstring me or I'm not going to have that extra sub at the end of the match in case someone gets injured. Well, now you have that freedom. Yeah. And so I think, you know, for, for us who have named a podcast after <laughs> the substitutions, there were so many exciting possibilities. And we saw Matias Almeida use it to full effect while we That's saw it potentially turn the match against the Whitecaps. And so that was just, yeah, it, it, was, it was a tough look. But Alex, I wanted to ask you, kind of turning, turning the page just a little bit, how much do you think they, the Whitecaps missed Lucas Cavallini, Toussaint Ricketts, and Freddie Montero? Because I think a lot there, – there were differing opinions online about that, some really citing, hey, they're missing five players, and others saying, I don't really know if it, if it really had that much of an effect on the outcome. I think they missed them less than they should have, but I still think they could have made a difference. That's kind of where, where I'm at. And that's where I was at before. It's people like, oh, no, there's no Lucas Cavallini to St. Ricketts to Freddie Montero. Don't get me wrong. I'll say this now before anyone goes after me. I'll say it as, you know, as black and white as you can say it. The Vancouver Whitecaps are a better team with Lucas Cavallini to St. Ricketts and Freddie Montero. Yeah, I mean, I don't think and that's Andy groundbreaking material. But... But, you know, the famous but, I don't think losing – if you're, if you're going to go and you're going to pick three players to take away from the Whitecaps, you know, if you're going to have to pick, like, you know, guys, like, from let's say from their 18 against the Galaxy. You know, you think of the youth guys, okay, just take Damiano Cusil and Simon Coline and Baldissimo because they haven't played. Okay, you're not going to be – you know, if we're not going to play the wise guy, you look at the 18 from the Galaxy, who you're going to take, obviously – a backup goalie would be, you know, usually you'd go after a backup goalie just because goalies are more of a plug and play. And maybe, maybe you take a backup center back, maybe just because they're so, you know, you can get away with it. But besides that, I feel like you'd take wingers or strikers because midfielders are very important. The back four, usually you don't want to mess with that. So I feel like losing out of the players they did lose, losing three strikers especially three strikers, not even like a winger, like three strikers. People are like, oh, we're, they're missing all the players. If you think about it, from the first two games, what we established kind of to be 11 or 12 starters and all the bench guys, they lost only what? One starter, two starter. I mean, obviously, Bikel missing 
before the game doesn't help. And that, honestly, was more of a big absence, I feel, from base, especially how the game turned out. Bikel was a b- bigger absence than, say, Cavallini, just because the Caps scored three goals, but they struggled defensively. You know, besides that, Krepo is a starter. That's one. You know, Veselinovic, uh, Kamiri, those are both starters, honestly. Like, Ranko probably would have started the first game had he come here earlier. So, you know, him and Godoy are the future. So I'll count them starters. Norwinski's a starter. Adnan's a starter. Tybert, Inbaum, and Owusu are all starters. Obviously, Owusu didn't start, but, you know, those are all starters in, in Mark's best 11. And Dahomey and Malikovic, that's 10 out of 11 guys are pretty much starters. Maybe the only guys you can argue Tybert or Nowinski for maybe, like, or, you know, one of those two out for Bikel. But that's 9 slash 10 starters. You're not – and what of the starters, it's your core of your team. It's the back to front for the team. If you want to build up the play, theoretically – your build-up play should remain intact, and all you have to do is just throw some random dude up top, and he can finish. Kind well, of like- I, I was going to say right now, if, if we kind of invert the exercise, if you were to take away three players that you felt would be the most impactful, just after this last match, I would maybe say, you know, you take away Max, because obviously that's just a huge leadership and quality and his ability on the ball you take away Ranko and I'd say you take away Owusu. Like right now, those maybe be the three guys where I'd go, that would have a, a devastating impact. So that's very far away. Who's the first from the guy guys. I didn't hear you, you cut out? Was it Krepo? Oh, by I said, yeah, Krepo, okay, Ranko and Owusu. Like if you really want to debilitate the squad, you take away, you know, the center yeah. of the pitch, you take away the core of the defense of the team. That would be, where you could really hurt the white caps. And yeah, I think ultimately, you know, with the service we saw, you know, and the lack of overall opportunities, I don't think you were missing out on a ton. Although there's always that argument that a guy like Luis Cavallini or a guy like Freddie Montero, even off the bench, they have that ability where they maybe only need one chance and they can convert mm-hmm. it. So I think that's the one, the one little argument you can make to say, Hey, maybe, there would have been another cheap goal in there if one of those guys had been on the pitch. But overall, you know, basically, yeah. What what I'll say is that they missed them, and I feel like having them on the team makes them better. But I feel like especially in the next game, if they can get more of their midfield and generate more chances for the wingers, like Dahomey and Milinkovic are really good players, and I don't feel I feel those like guys can create about, goals. We didn't talk about how good they were, and I guess we'll kind of dive into that. Yeah. Shortly in our individuals, we we'll, we'll we'll speed this show right up. But you know, like the homemade Malinkovic are good players. Reyna's actually a really good false nine, and he's played a lot at striker in his career. Apparently, these best years in Austria came as a striker, not as a you know, not as a winger. So clearly, how, there, it's not a bad front three. Obviously, you think of a Dahomey Malinkovic Cavallini front three, you do start to drool a bit because it is it is a tantalizing you know, prospect at the same time, Jordi Reyna isn't a, like, that's the thing. It's you lose Cavallini, but it's not like going to the Jordi Reyna. It's like, it's, it's not that huge drop off. It's like typically in MLS, you lose a star, a DP. And there's this just, it feels like you fall off a cliff. You're seeing it with Atlanta, for example, without Joseph Martinez, those, that got that Castro guy, they played Manuel Castro. You, just terrible. I'm sorry. He seems like a good player, you know, decent on the ball, but his finishing was abysmal. And you can just, you felt the difference between him and, and Martinez. And obviously you feel the difference between Cavallini and Reyna just because Cavallini holds up the ball better. 
he used to get involved with his teammates and he's defensively better. But when you look, you know, Reyna wasn't that you're not looking at Reyna and be like, the sky is falling. Like there's well, it's not like chance. it's not like not to not to throw massive shade here, but it's not like you're just throwing in an Eric Hurtado up top and expecting him to do the job of Lucas Cavalini. Like it's yeah. it's like not Reyna's that kind of one for one sub where the talent drop off is massive. If anything, it's just more of a a stylistic adjustment where obviously Yordi and Lucas are not the same player up mm-hmm. front. And so you have to adjust in that sense. But I think, in, yeah, in terms of quality, like well, Yordi yeah, well, certainly Cavallini's, has the ability. Yeah, well, Cavallini's a better finisher and all that stuff. But we have to remember Reyna, he could easily be an MLS DP if he was consistent. He's produced like one before, and that's Reyna's issue. That's where you see the talent drop off, and that's a whole other story. But well, I guess, even, even within the match, I think we saw a bit of that. Yeah, I think we saw that. But I guess to kind of we'll, – we'll move along here as we, we head, out, head into the second half of the show. I guess before we go into the individual performances, we did get a big nugget, surprisingly. Uh, I asked Mark DeSantis what, you know – how he felt he missed Daniel Bikel after the game. And, you know, if you had an update, I was expecting, oh, you know, quad, little quad problem or adductor problem out for a few days. See him maybe not Seattle or half a game of Seattle. Chicago Fire, just like, yep, he's out for the tournament. We're like, did that go into my headphones, right? So, Sam, how do you think, how big is that as an absence? We're talking absence is Daniel Bikel, at least for what the Whitecaps will need the rest of this tournament without Cavallini Ricketts and, you know, Montero already without their strikers. How bad is losing a midfielder slash right back? Yeah, is it is it controversial or crazy for me to say that I think losing Bakel for this tournament is bigger than losing Lucas Cavallini? I think I think it, it, it might be more impactful. And I mean, in when we kind of did our preview pod or our white cap specific preview pod, I was pumping the tires of throwing Bakel in at CDM and having Owusu and Inbom in the He's midfield. And I'm, havoc. and I'm feeling a little bit vindicated after match number one because <laughs> it was not Russell Tybert's best match. And just, I don't know if Inbom, Inbom can't bear the load of the entire midfield by himself. He needs to, he's almost... He's a very he's an incredibly good complementary player, but you he needs yeah, which is guys tough like, for a DP. You he want needs your guys DPs like Alusu to... and Bakel to hoover up a lot of the work and kind of lay the ball off to him so he can do his magic. And I, I don't know, like that's I, I don't know if that's unfair, but it's just he, you know, yeah, Inbaum can't just boss the midfield by himself. And I think we if we see Russell Tybert not have a great match and you know, a guy like Owusu is working so hard defensively, he gets run into the ground. I just think you need another destroyer type. Like, even if Yanni Obakel was playing out at right back, he just, he has those attributes and that ability that the Whitecaps seem to be missing from time to time. And so I'm, yeah, I'm very disappointed from on a personal level that we don't get to see him. And then also for the Whitecaps, I feel like it's a, it's a pretty major loss and they don't really have anyone to replace him. I mean, Patrick Metcalf kind of has that box to box, you know, CDM center mid uh, potential, but uh, definitely doesn't, you know, I can't imagine him getting more than a 20 or 30 minute stint max, you know, in one match in this tournament. So I, I think it's a major loss. And if you look at depth more so than up front, I think that's where there's a, a glaring issue. 
Well, I just feel like Bikel's presence, because like you said, Inbaum is a complimentary player, which again, I feel like it's kind of tough as a DP to, you know, you'd, you'd hope that your DP could be one of those guys that can take over a game on his own, but I just don't think Inbaum either, he's not there yet, or, he, you know, he might never be there just because that's not his style. And you know what? I can't, you know, you can't fault him for that. And he's a really quality player. But at the same time, I think we're all starting to realize he's not a guy who can, you can just throw in the middle and expect to kind of drag guys on his back and be that, you know, that savior. And you know what? Like, I think that's- there's a reason he plays so well for Korea. And that's yeah. because he's, He's just around great players. He plays his role. He plays his role very, very well. But he needs a role. He can't just be the. Well, he also elevates himself in his role. He needs, and you know, I feel like with Bikel and Awusu, he's going to elevate himself. And I feel like, you know, he he just—he's the kind of guy that doesn't take over games on his own, but he'll take over a game with others. And you know what? That's fine. You know, that's. It's a mid. He's a midfielder, a striker. Maybe you want guys who can do things on their own. That's where Cavallini is important because he's going to be able to do things on its own. But in the midfield, that's fine. You have three other, two other, three other players depending on your formation. So that's you know that's that's fine. That inbounds like that. It's just too bad you're missing Bikel. And I think Bikel's a huge absence because he's. I just like his mentality. He just kind of strikes me somebody who just doesn't, you know, frankly, just doesn't give a crap. He just kind of likes to. He's going to stuck in. If he ever gets a yellow, he's just going to smile. If he gets a red, he's going to smile even bigger. He he just kind of has that, you know, that disturber look about him. But at the same time, he's a really talented player. He's a good passer. He's, he's not a, he's not like a grinder, you know, he's not your typical MLS American number six. Think you're, think you're Kyle Beckerman's, your, you know, your Jeff Laurentowicz's, your Dax McCarty's. No, he's not a grinder, but he's like, he's got that, He's, a, he's like a polished grinder, and that's almost scarier. He's, he, he, at one minute, he's going to two-foot you, and he's going like, to leave you bleeding, and the other minute, he's playing a 40-yard diagonal. You know, he's kind of got that, you know, he's got that snarl and, and polish. So it's going to be a huge absence just because Inbaum could use him, Owusu could use him, because if not, he's going to get run into the ground at this point just from how important he's been. So I think Bikel is a big impact. But I guess we'll kind of go quick, click quickly rapid fire here into the performances we, we, we kind of here's what i'm going to say we're we've got a list of players that we want to touch on and i think what we're going to do is we're going to give each player or in or in two cases uh, we've bunched two guys together and i think we're going to give each of them a minute of our time so we're going to kind of go rapid fire through this and just touch on what our impressions were and kind of what we thought and and do it rapid fire style Okay. Well, so let's you so lay yeah, that put you a little what, bit under the gun there, each? Alex. 30, how about 30, 30 seconds? 30, 30 seconds each. That's what we're doing. So I think we're gonna start here with I mean, most of these guys we've already talked about a little bit, so we've given ourselves some help, but we're gonna start with out on the wings, Milinkovic and Dahomey. So Alex, go ahead. I like them. I like them a lot. They're really I just like the way they play. They inside, they play, they create havoc. They're playing like inside forwards defensively, they're stout. I think the Whitecaps have good pieces in here, and I think for the price they paid, they're gonna they they're gonna get a lot out of Dahomey and Milinkovic. They're kind of that seven goal, seven assist each kind of guy, and with Cavallini up top, I'm excited. But at the same time, let's not discount their defensive work. Dahomey created a goal on his own. Milinkovic created a goal on his own. I liked it. 
Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing I noticed is I was worried about getting them being a little bit too central and everyone just being bunched up. I don't actually think that was as much of an issue as I anticipated. Obviously, the team didn't get forward as much as you might have liked. And so we didn't get to see them, you know, fully flush that out. But I think they're, they're solid all-around players. They fit DeSantos' system and they were two of the bright spots for me. All right, so now we're going to move on to... Ranko. Uh, Ranko, who I think had a great debut. And I, I'm just going to roll in here. He talked about how he's calm on the ball, how he likes to take it upfield. We saw one really nice run where he dribbled past an Earthquakes player. He seems he's got that calmness. He's got that leadership. Um, it's nice. I think once you see him paired with Eric Godoy, that's going to be a really confidence-inspiring back line. And yeah, for a debut and for a young guy, very impressed. I think Ranko is going to be a baller and I think we didn't see the best of him. Not saying he was really good. We didn't see the best of him because he, we saw his defensive chops that we talked of. He's a big guy. He can win headers. He's good on, good on the ground, but I think his best attribute is his passing. And in a game like this where the Caps defenders sat deep, they didn't get much of the ball. He didn't get to use those, that passing ability. And I think in a game where the white caps play a higher line, we're really going to see the best of Ranko. Okay, well, that's going to move us on to Leonard Owusu. So I Alex, wish I had more ahead. than 30 seconds to go talk ahead. about Owusu, but what I can say about Owusu is he's, a, he's, really, he's kind of that Swiss army knife. He can play the 6, 8, and the 10. He's really creative. He's got what, you know, that Wi-Fi, that text message passing we talk about, but he's, he's really – I like to snarl. He got stuck in there, and he really – he ran until his legs can't run anymore, and I like that from a midfielder to see that kind of work rate. So I think – I'd like to see him as an eight. I feel like he'd be better as an eight for the white caps at least, but I did like what I saw from it as a six. And I think he's going to be, if he's fit for Seattle, he's going to be a big piece in stopping Ladero and creating chances. Yeah. I felt like Owusu did the work of, of at least two players in the midfield against San Jose. And obviously it was a tall task and, you know, he maybe wasn't helped by the other two in the midfield, but, yeah, he's got that energy. He's got that kind of, you know, energizer buddy, jitterbug style. And, and, and I'm super, super impressed. We forget how young he is, and I think he's only going to get better. So very excited to have him on the squad for a long time to come. And that takes us to the other two in the midfield, which are Tiber and Nimbaugh. 30 seconds for this. Yeah. this is- Obviously, we, I mean, we've talked about these guys a decent amount already, so I don't know if there's a ton more to be said. But, yeah, Alex, uh, see what you can fit into 30 seconds. Left, uh, they left a lot to be desired, desired, and I liked what they did early in the season, so it was disappointing, and I feel like there is better for them because, I mean, they're with Bikel Gunn, them and Nowusu are the three for the rest of the tournament, so – I'd like to see more. I'd like to see Tybert get involved more because he's actually he's good on the ball when he, he gets involved. So I think his issue with not getting involved in inbound was just, again, I guess be doing more with, I don't know, just being more of a presence. So I think more to come for them. It was disappointing, but I'll judge after Seattle and Chicago. Yeah, I think my evaluation is relatively similar. I think I just want to see those two get stuck in the way Owusu did. And not don't be afraid to make mistakes. Like I'd rather see them trying passes, you know, getting stuck in defensively, doing whatever they need to do. And, and if it doesn't work out, that's okay. But I think playing, you know, low event football is not the answer either. And obviously they need some help around them, but you know, to a certain extent, it has to come from them as well. They just have to assert themselves a little more into the match. And we didn't really see that, but hopefully we will. 
I guess we'll go in the next one. Jasser Kamiri. I'll let you keep going on this one. There's just three left. So we're yeah, yeah. Yasser, I think is an interesting one because first 60 minutes, really impressed. I mean, he's going to dive in for some tackles that are ill-advised. Like that's just guaranteed. But at the same time, he was really solid defensively, I thought, for the most part and recovered well. But then we saw that last 30 minutes, he kind of switches off mentally. And I think it's also just worth noting, he's a young guy, hasn't played a lot of matches, and he's not as good in the air right now as you'd expect him to be. Well, he's only 22. He's played one game. No, he played four games since he, since uh, December, no, November 2018, so basically a year and a half. So there's a lot more to come. His mental fitness, his physical fitness may be there, but his mental fitness isn't there. He had a good 70 minutes, and then he just – he mentally burned out and there maybe DeSantos should have subbed him off or given him Cornelius to work with. So I will pass judgment on Kamiri until we see more, but I do think he's got to, he just needs reps. He needs games. Yeah. So that takes us on to Yordi Urena, who you've already, already talked about quite a bit, but I'll kick it off. And I think, yeah, Yordi played his false nine role well. Now, I mean, obviously I think I have my opinions about the false nine, like long-term and how it, works out for the white caps but i think as we've mentioned as mark DeSantos has mentioned it's just that consistency he has great runs and then he seems a little switched off and if you can just get more of that high level yordi more consistently i think everyone would just be so happy and and yeah hopefully we can see that at some point soon yeah i just i felt reina was he i mean he obviously had his his goal i finger wagged the goal but you know he's you just need to be involved more. I think he was not the worst player on the pitch. He wasn't the best. I think it was a very whelming performance from Reina, and I think we can see more and see him stamp his influence more. But I think it was it was solid, but I think more is to come, especially in a game where he can get on the ball more. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Seattle against their weaker defense or against the Flyers. So hopefully in these next two games, we see more of him. Okay, and finally, Ali Adnan. Ali Adnan, best player for all best those player. out there best goal and really it was it was a beautiful finish it was a beautiful run he's all he's got that ability to just like it it almost looks like he's gonna fall over sometimes when he's (laughs) dribbling but he's so slippery when he does it and yeah weak foot finish um yeah imagine if he was cutting in from the right beautifully curved um i think as we said he was better defensively than maybe we expect or it was just he kept those energy levels relatively high even though we would have liked to see him probably get subbed off at some point. But yeah, a solid performance, uh, about as much as you could expect given the way the rest of the match went. And yeah, I'd just like to, maybe yes, could have seen him subbed off because his fitness is an issue. But I do, like, I do like when he does influence the game on both sides of the ball. I do think it would be, he's, he just seems screaming to, to be played in a 3-5-2. And I don't know if the Whitecaps can handle that, but he just, I'd love to see more or play him on the wing, even though Milinkovic and Dahomey are good. Just I'd love to see Adnan freed up because offensively, again, I don't think anyone doubts his commitment offensively. Defensively, he switches off sometimes. And honestly, I think we saw the stereotypical Ali Adnan performance against San Jose, which is good. Did leave a little lacking, but it was good. But I guess, well, well, there's two names that we'll throw. I'll throw, I'll give you one each. We'll we'll go through that. I'll give you, I'll give you who, who you want. You can have, Norwinski, and I'll take Krepo, so I'll give you Jake Norwinski. Okay. You may as well um, go the 11. You know, I think when you don't notice Jake a ton, it's usually a good thing. 
because sometimes he looks a bit all over the place defensively. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that he's, he's having a bad defensive match, but just sometimes he looks like he gets a little caught out or out of position. Didn't really notice that. But at the same time, it seemed like it was a struggle for him to get involved offensively, which kind of makes sense given the lack of possession. So I, I don't know. That's like a, it's a 6.5 kind of standard match performance for Jake in my eyes. I'll take Kreppel. I think Kreppel was good. He did what he had to do. Kind of, he got to stay on his line, face long shot after a long shot. Maybe he could have done better on one or two of the goals. Maybe that one where Wanda Lowe's header that he was a bit flat-footed. But I think Kreppel, you can't blame him. He, he, he had a lot of work to do. He didn't get to play on the ball as much, and I think that was just kind of the back line as a whole. So I think Kreppel, yeah, he was solid. I think we're going to see more of him as he gets back into his, his game rhythm. But not much to say there, but I guess we'll now we'll, we'll pivot off. Well, just one thing I'd, I'd say about Kripo to give a very brief evaluation, least of their problems. Least of their problems. And he's, we're only going to see more from him, but I guess we'll go into our third sub of the match section. And at the same time, I'll say, why not give 30 seconds to the one and subs one and two. So again, I'll give you Ryan Ripo, so I'll take okay. Theo Bear, and then we'll hop right into a deeper analysis of our third sub of the game to, to kind of wrap things off before we quickly preview Seattle. Yeah, so Ryan, I mean, it's good energy, good experience. Didn't really do a lot, but at the same time, wasn't really asked to do a lot. I mean, it was that, you know, the Whitecaps were defending very deep for most of the time he was on. And yeah, it's, I'd like to see him get a more extended run in a match where he has a chance to, you know, make some runs and, and truly have an impact. So it's kind of a TBD for me. I feel, I feel the same about Bear. I'd like them both to see like a 45 minutes, like a, a 60 minutes. Because Bear was really good for, you know, his however many minutes he played, 20, 20, 25 minutes. He had five touches and four of those were successful passes. And one of those is like a key pass. So just imagine what he could have done with 40 touches. You know, I'm not going to say he's going to get six key passes, but, you know, Bears just, he's so effective for his size on the wing. I feel like we should see more of him because he's really growing a lot as a player. And, and this is, I guess, off the clock now, but he would provide, if you started him, that different element or profile then. Because I do feel like Dahomey and Milinkovic are relatively similar on the wings. And so, you know, you give, I, I think, really either Raposo or Bear an extended look, you get get that different tactical look with that we didn't see against San Jose and so hopefully those guys get used and obviously you know two young guys Canadian guys you you want to see them get involved and so we're always we're always backing them for more minutes always but I guess we'll, we'll go quickly I oh not quickly uh, we'll go into our our last segment here uh I mean, this is, it's the third sub of the match. It's the title of the podcast. So we, we got I mean, we we're it. hoping for the third, fourth, and fifth subs, Kafka, Kof, Derek Cornelius, and Christian Gutierrez. But Pat, Patrick Metcalf, MLS debut, path to pro, shout out TSS Rovers. He made it, he made it from the Rovers to the MLS. One of the latest, include if you're going to look at Joel Waterman, I guess, as well. And, uh, yeah, he, he, I mean, he, maybe it wasn't the way he wanted to start. Came on for an injured Owusu. Again, update, he's day-to-day. He should be fine to at least play a half against Seattle, at least. I don't know. I, that's kind of how I interpreted day-to-day. But, you know, Matt Coffey came on, and, yeah, maybe he was a bit closer to Salinas than he, should, than he wanted to be on the winning goal. Maybe he 
you know, he regrets not taking a yellow or something, but he's a young player. I'm not going to look at him and say he's to fault. You know, you usually expect your veterans there to, to do, to, to do more of something on Salinas. And I don't think you can look at Metcalf on that, but I think he, it's too bad. He didn't get to influence the game more because we saw in preseason, he really, he's a good passer. He, he's kind of tidy in his play and, I'd wanted to see more from him, but, you know, it was good to just see him go on and run around and give them fresh legs in the midfield. And, you know, if anything, it's just too bad he came on for Wusu. I feel like in an ideal world, he would have come on for a Russell Tybert because then I feel like if a Wusu's still on the pitch, that Salinas goal doesn't happen and Metcalf was free to maybe do more of what he wanted to do and we didn't have to see Inbaum or Tybert at the six. But I just thought it was good to see Metcalf on and kind of, show the youngsters, you know, a path. So hopefully we see more of him and we see other guys like Baldissimo and Pasil because I feel like the Whitecaps could use more of that in the midfield, especially if their legs tire out. Yeah, I think it was uh, an important symbolic moment. Really good for him to to break the seal and get his his first appearance. And as you said, I think without Bacal the rest of this tournament, Patrick Metcalf does seem like the one guy that of the young group that Dos Santos does have trust in and is willing to play mm-hmm. for potentially an ex- extended minutes. Uh, obviously we didn't really see it in this one, but I think with, you know, if, if a Wusu continues to be a little banged up, if Russell Tiber yeah. at some point, well, you don't want to run a those break, guys in the ground. You can't just run those guys into the ground. So you have to think that Patrick Metcalf's going to get a 30 minute stint at some point in this next, these next two matches. And I think he's going to have a chance to really shine. And I think that actually, even though, you know, I, I think it's fair to say right now that Patrick Metcalf is a downgrade from Yanni Obakel, I think he can step in and play that role. And if Metcalf and Owusu can eat up a lot of the work, a lot of the short passing, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the defensive responsibility, then we can see that kind of freeing up in bomb effect later on in matches. And so I'm, you know, it's a small step, but it's a step in the right direction. And I really hope that we see more from Patrick the rest of this tournament. Yeah. I just feel, and you know, if the youth aren't ready, I, I feel like at this point they just shouldn't be in Orlando. I feel like if, you're going to bring the youth. Like, I feel like it'd be nice to see the minutes. Like Patrick obviously only signed this year. It's not someone like Baldissimo who signed last year and just had injury issues. Like I want to see more of them. I want to see more of Metcalf. I liked what I saw in preseason. I've liked what I've seen with the U23s last year. Give him some minutes, show him, build his confidence. Cause as we've seen with these guys, when you throw them out of the fire, like bear last year, they, they usually, they're surprisingly up to task. And I feel like if you're going to trust your youth system and talk about your youth system, these are the games where you can there's, really There's no the better time than right now. There's no better time. And so, yeah, it's a, I don't know if we're going to see that in the next two matches, but we can cross our fingers and, and hope for the best. So, yeah, that is, the, that is the third sub of the match. And hopefully when we're back after Seattle, we get to talk about a fourth and fifth sub as well. Or maybe the match goes so well, we don't need a fourth and fifth sub, but uh, I don't know. Somehow, what if somehow we don't even I have a third it. sub to talk about. What if it's only two? Yeah, well then I don't know. We'll just we'll spend five minutes ranting about the fact there wasn't a third sub. I guess yeah. To you know, before we close things up, you know what? What do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about the intern banter, or do you want to preview Seattle? Or well, I think yeah, we're we're going to preview Seattle a little bit, but first let's just. So yeah, if you were living under a rock or you, you know, you didn't watch the match live or or whatever, however you might have missed it, 
WFC intern took over the Twitter Twitter sphere after there was the whole verified accounts hack. And so the Vancouver Whitecaps official account was down for a bit. And uh, yeah, WFC intern bringing the heat. I mean, we we knew it was going to be a good day on Whitecaps Twitter because it's, you know, whenever there's a big match or whenever we've been away for a while, it's always tons of fun. But uh, yeah, the intern really, uh, really leaned straight into it and, and had a lot of fun with people was, you know, in everyone's mentions responding and going back and forth and, and yeah, it was a ton of fun. So just, you know, big shout out to the Whitecaps comms team for really hitting the nail on the head with that one and it kept things entertaining even even after the match when you were maybe feeling a little a little down after what had happened in the last 30 minutes it was it was lots of entertainment yeah it was, it was just a, a shambolic day for twitter they just went from their hacking to the blue checks all going down but it was funny to see the white cap step in give us lineups it was just such a bad timing like just such bad timing to have it go down like an hour before the game. So it's good to see the banter. They really kind of just let loose and they really, I don't know. I feel like the, the white cap social media team always hits the nail on the head. And I think they did so once again. So we'll give them a 10 out of 10 on our who scored for, for how the performance of the social media team was. Yeah. Cause they're always, they're always one of the best performers for the white caps night in night out. Memes 10 out of 10 banter 10 out of 10. Yeah. Get stuck in 10 out of 10. <laughs> Chirping other teams a little too early. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe they should have held off off the, the San Jose roast, but you know what? They were they were honest in their post game reflections about their their shortcomings. Yeah, and uh, and little Stephen A. Smith clips always do it for me. I don't know why, but they always get me. So I, I enjoyed a couple of those after the match. I guess we'll we'll wrap things off here by setting the table for Seattle. I guess obviously plug if you listen to this and you haven't listened to our episode 23 or if you want you have and you just want to listen to it again i think it's around you know after around the 45th minute mark we have an interview with jeremiah O'Shan previewing everything seattle for a 40 35 minutes express so if you want to get an in-depth preview you can get that we'll only give a couple minutes here but kind of what are you expecting from the seattle game and how do you what do you think is a, rea- a realistic outcome from the White Caps? What are you expecting from the Caps in that one? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what to expect. Um, we talked about this with Jeremiah. You just don't necessarily know exactly how Seattle is going to view it because, you know, at, at this point, they got to kind of wonder whether or not they they have that much interest in in continuing on in this tournament. Um, obviously they're professional athletes and I think you're going to, you're going to see a good match, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously like a nil nil draw would be kind of worst case scenario for all where it just kicks the can down the road. And, and obviously that would kind of knock Seattle out of it and, and very much put the white caps on the brink. But, um, hopefully I think the first and foremost, what I want to see is, you know, the white caps play a different tactical match. We talked about it being a bit of a nightmare against San Jose just from a from a matchup perspective. And so hopefully you want to see Mark come in with a different plan and try to take his style of game to the Sounders more so than we saw against San Jose. And I don't think we're going to see a very different lineup. I would anticipate the lineup's very similar, but hopefully tactically we see... You know, I'd love to see Russell Tybert and Inbaum with 
60, 70 touch games. Like that would be, that's going to be one of the first things I'm looking at is how much are they on the ball? How much are they moving it around? Because I think that's, that's going to be key to the Whitecaps successes. Can they be productive in midfield? Can they distribute effectively? And then you also want to see that high press and hopefully that involves bringing on some fresh legs, you know, maybe gosh, fingers crossed some young guys. We'll just have fifth subs. Yeah. We'll just have to see, but I, I don't know. I see a, after a very chaotic opening match, I see kind of a, a 1-1-2-1, 85th minute goal to decide a type match. Maybe a little more, a little more like a normal <laughs> soccer match as opposed to what we saw on Wednesday. But uh, but who knows at this point? It's a crazy tournament, and, and anything could happen. It could be a snoozer nil nil as well. Like I, I don't know. Exactly. I think. <laughs> Stylistically, it's gonna it's gonna be a better matchup for the Caps. I think the Sounders. It, it feels like they're in a much better position. Yeah, to like at the same time, we dictate can't look, a bit more. Yeah, but we can't look at Rudiaz and Ladero and Morris and be like the White Caps are going to be fine. They're going to be easy. It's, it's going to be a hard game. But I feel like stylistically, that Seattle defense is a bit paper thin. The mid defensive midfield. I feel like if the White Caps can get Inbom and Tybert going, they can score. I'm feeling. I'm feeling another kind of that. 3-3, three, three, that 4-3, that okay. high scoring. I'm feeling like a 3-2 maybe, you know? like some, I'm feeling goals just because with the Seattle defense, I feel like no way the Whitecaps don't score at least one or two even without their strikers. But at the same time, you look at the Sounders, typically they just always get the caps. They always at least get one or two. So I'm feeling that 2-2, 3-2, 3-3, 4-3 vibe. And, you know, I think it's going to be fun. And I think if the caps can get their tactics head on, the Seattle team, they just match up well against them. But this isn't an easy Seattle team, and they're realizing, okay, oh, shoot, we've started the slow two games. We need to win this. And if the Whitecaps were not losing a derby, they're going to come out strong. So it's really going to be how the Caps come out and how tactically they match Seattle, and most importantly, how they adjust to Seattle as the game goes along. I think, I think if I'm just looking for one thing, it's for the Whitecaps to be the the dictators of the style of play, because even though they went up the protagonist, yeah, the protagonist, that's a better word. I was, I was struggling for it there, but you know, even going up two nil against the earthquakes early, it very much felt like the white cast were just content to play whatever kind of match the earthquakes wanted to play. And I'd like to see the white caps take the initiative and sort of, you know, implement what they want early on. And I think that all goes through the midfield and, and yet they have a chance, I think to expose that back line because the white caps are more dynamic in attack than I think they're maybe giving credit for at times. And, and, you know, even though a couple of those goals weren't necessarily, you know, highlight reel, uh, you know, top drawer finishes other than the alley one, I think their, their chance creation or their effectiveness in finishing chances is certainly, there if they get the opportunity to do it and i'd like to see just thinking off the top of my head i'd like to see a lot of alia and then you for example because the white if you look at the sounders morris as a left winger more you know really as a striker ladero at the cam we often see someone like christian roldan on the right winger he's not really a right wing i'd like to see alia and then take advantage of that you know like okay they might not have a natural right winger really or like someone who's as deadly as jordan morris take advantage of that chance he has to go forward and go attack whoever the fullback ends up being. If it's, I don't even know. Uh, 
with Seattle, who they've been playing because last year was often, uh, you know, it was it was it was not it was Kevin Leardam, but I guess against CLC against Chicago they did play. Oh God, Google's Google Google's uh, failed me here. So, you know, I want to see Ali Adnan attack. I want to see him, you know, go forward. I want him to see to see him use the the, the matchup advantage. I want to see more of inbound. I want to see the wingers. I think the wingers are really gonna make. You know they're gonna make a difference in this kind of game, and I have got the lineup here. You know the white the 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 Sounders did play Kevin Leardam, so I want to see Ali Adnan take on Leardam. They played Hopo. Have you ever heard of this guy, Shandon Hopo, as a right winger? Um, seems like a youngster. Uh, he's he's 21. He's a seems like a homegrown. Played for Tacoma Defiance. So you know what. Potential for, for a good player. There's an words. opportunity. He's not. He's no Jordan Morris, let's say. So I'd want to see a lot of Ali Adnan. I want to see a lot of Reyna, especially in between the lines. And I'd want to see – I just want to see the Whitecaps get more chances, control more of the game, be more in the flow and not feel like they're hanging on to their dear life. But that's kind of what, I, what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I think it's a real it's a real redemption opportunity after the play style left a lot to be desired on Wednesday night. And so – Fingers crossed that we see that, and uh, you know, there's only one way to find out. So Sunday, we're gonna get that chance. But yeah, Alex, I think that's pretty much it for episode number 24 of the third sub. Um, we're looking forward to to the next two matches upcoming, and we're definitely gonna be back with more kind of recap style analysis after the matches go down. Yep, we'll be we'll be back probably Monday or Tuesday. Because the Caps play Thursday. At, okay, I think we'll be back Monday just because of the Caps. The fact that the Caps play at Thursday at 6 a.m. Sam and I are going to be up. I don't know yeah. how I'm going to get up. And my brain may be mush. Um, hopefully on Wednesday I don't make the foolish mistake of uh, going to bed at like midnight or 1. But yeah. We're going to have to get mentally prepared for that one for sure. Yeah, you heard it here first. That might happen. And I, my, my brain might be fried. So if the post-match report's a bit scrambled, uh <laughs> It'll be like your eggs, you know, scrambled eggs, scrambled match report, coffee. <laughs> so I'm not looking forward to that, but I'm excited for 7.30 at night against the Sounders. That's perfect. That's yeah, it be- feels it's still got those Cascadia vibes, at the 7.30 start. And so, uh, it just yeah, feels we're weird to watch Seattle and Vancouver and not be in person. Let's be real. Yeah, like we're, we're always in person, like be it in Seattle or in yeah, Vancouver. Yeah, we, we've, we've enjoyed when we've gone down to – I mean, Seattle and Portland trips are always fun, and, and we're missing always out on that, obviously, this year. Um, you know, obviously, two teams that there's a lot of – there's a lot of hatred for at times, but at the same time, great – It support, is a pretty peaceful rivalry. Great cities, great great supporters, great venues, and so it's great always – banter. It's always fun, and so we'll definitely miss that. But at the same time, it's – Still a Cascadia match, and so so that's you know very much yeah. something we look forward to, and 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 yeah, can't wait. It, it's not like Montreal Toronto derby where it's like you saw it yesterday. There's just this hate between yeah. the fans, and sometimes the players just because there's like 300 years of history. I think the Cascadia derby is a unique one in sports, just because how like intense it is on the pitch, but it's like a peaceful intensity you know there's like a respect between the fans and And maybe that's not the same between seattle and portland but i feel like even then portland vancouver seattle vancouver it's it's a little more amicable yeah and even even between portland and seattle i mean it is pretty peaceful you know like there's 
there, there is this, this camaraderie there. And you think back to last year when they played each other and there's that whole, you know, the iron front fight and they, they all together as a group, you know, held, they stopped cheering for 10 minutes to, you know, send a message to MLS. And I see that you wouldn't see that in other derbies around the world. It's just so much hate. They can't even, you know, I just, I like, I like the Cascadia. It might be, you know what, I can agree with people saying the Montreal Toronto one is the best in North America. I feel like that's hard to argue against, but I feel like the Cascadia three-way derby, obviously people in Seattle, Portland, oh, why are you Whitecaps trying to get in there? I feel like, it's 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 one of the unique ones, and I'm really happy that we get to be a part of it, and see, we've seen all sides of it away and home, and just how cool it is, and how nice, you know, it is between people, and and how it's cool how they all meet in the playoffs all the time, like how the Whitecaps have played the Timbers and the Sounders, and how the Sounders, like how everyone's played it. it just it's just a nice derby, I feel, you know. Yeah, and so to kind of wrap things up, uh, if you're going to be online on Twitter on Sunday, you can you Come can back. hit me up at either Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter, or I'm also going to be running the 86 Forever Twitter account. So yeah, if you want to give me your hot takes, give me your wild predictions, tell me I'm stupid. Sprinkle sprinkle some memes in there. We're we're good for all of it. We're game for all of it. And yeah, Alex, over to you. Where where can they find you on Twitter this upcoming weekend? You can find me on at Alex Ruzik. Uh, I'll be putting out some hot takes, putting out some balanced analysis in there too. Uh, I might be calling out some people I disagree with. Uh, you know, it's all fair game, and we have a good time. Lots of lots of love on the when the Whitecaps play. It was nice to play on. Uh, not gonna lie, tweet Whitecaps because I was tweeting these Miami games blindly and be like. You get one or two people engaging with you. It was nice on the Whitecaps to have the engagements and the mentions and chat voting with you guys. So the more that join us, the merrier. I missed it. And obviously, I'll be on that BTS Man City Twitter as well and btsmancity.com. Find our find our analysis from after the Caps first game. Find our preview for the Seattle game. Find this podcast. Find it all. btsmancity.com. So with, yeah. that, with that, stay safe. Stay happy. Prepare yourself for a Whitecaps win, loss, or a draw, but just hope that it's a good time, and we'll we'll catch you next week, early next week, with a numero Vince Sink. Yeah, have a good weekend, everyone. All right, see ya.